You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, good morning again. Um, my name is David Jordan. I uh, was part of the elder team here for hi James uh, for about ten years. And a little over a year ago, as my wife Jacqueline and I welcomed our fourth boy, four boys, yes, um, it's louder than that in our house, actually, Um, we felt it was time to take a step back from um, eldership for a season uh, as we, one, dealt with the chaos of that many children at a young age, uh, but also just to have a a season of focusing on um, being a family that uh, writes the words of the Lord on the doorpost of our house and teaches them to our children diligently. And so that's been good for Jacqueline and I to focus on that together and to grow in that way. Um, and so that said, it is a, a joy and a privilege to get to open God's word uh, here this morning uh, and walk us through this. There are Bibles there in the back. If you don't have one, um, I'd encourage you to go grab one. We're going to do something a little bit different as we start here. Um, Often the preacher will pray a prayer um, as we open God's word together. I'm going to actually have us read this prayer together um, that God would work in our hearts as we look at his word together this morning. Uh, So let's read this together. O God, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the life and conversation. That as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, and in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to be covering quite a passage here today. There's a number of things that we could certainly talk about more. Uh, We're not going to do an official Q&A at the end, but if any of these things uh, you'd like to discuss further, I'll be up here after the service. Would love to uh, talk about them with you uh, or afterwards as well. Let's think back over the last several weeks in the book of Hebrews. If you look back into chapter 4, we've been looking at the Israelites and how in the wilderness, in a place of need, they became thirsty. And instead of turning to the Lord in trust, they grumbled. And that was disobedience, that was sin. And because of that, that generation did not receive the promised rest. They didn't get to enter into the promised land that God had promised to them. We're supposed to look at this example as a warning to us. If we hear God's word today, we should turn to him in faith so that we would obtain the promises that God has for us. Then last week, James showed us that God's word is so living, so powerful, and so potent to expose our sins. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 13 here. It says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word shows us for who we are. It exposes our sins. And when we're honest about that, we recognize that we must give account to God for that. That's why there's good news as we pivot into the verses for this week. As we look at verse 14 here, it's going to set the stage for the rest of this passage. It says, Since then, 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We're going to see why this is good news for us, why in light of the warnings that we've heard in the last chapter, that it's good news that Jesus is our great high priest. But first you might want to stop and say, what is a high priest? This is not a category that we deal with in our day-to-day. High priest was central to the life of God's people before Jesus. The priest mediated the relationship between God and his people by offering sacrifices for sin and reminding the people of God's commands. And so in the daily act of priests offering sacrifice for sin, the people would see that the wages of sin is death, and that for their sins there was a price. But maybe a more uh, relatable parallel for us might be thinking about a mediator. High priests function, in a sense, as a mediator. Now, mediators work where there's conflict between two people and there's no starting place to work out those differences. When I think about mediators, I think about my time uh, on a college dorm floor. I went to a Christian college, and you had 40 dudes all on one floor together, seven of us named David. And... uh, (laughs) And inevitably, in the course of the year, you'd have people that, even though they're both Christians, they'd have these immense conflicts. I think about one pair my freshman year. One of them was a a dude from Texas. He loved listening to Metallica and, like, hard rock type stuff like that. Yeah. And, And the other guy was from Southern California. And he thought that the best thing to do at 5 o'clock in the morning was to get up, turn on the worship music, and just start praising the Lord. Now, you can imagine how this led to some conflicts as they had differences in music, differences in when they liked to be awake and making noise. And eventually, it came to the point where they needed the RA, the leader on the floor, to help them mediate that difference. The greater the difference, the greater mediator you need. Now, if you're going to look for a mediator, there's probably three things you'd want to find. You'd want to make sure that that mediator would be accepted by the person that you have a conflict with. You'd want to make sure that that mediator is trustworthy for you. And you want to make sure that the mediator is able to address the problem at hand. Now, I didn't pull those three things from like a corporate business leadership handbook. That's actually from, if we look at verse 1 of chapter 5, this is what... Um, God is telling us here about the high priest. There's three qualities of a high priest. The high priest is chosen by God, is trustworthy to us, and is able to address our sin that separates us from God. We're going to look at these qualities in these verses. And for each of these qualities, we'll see in the surrounding verses how Jesus exceeds the high priests of old in all of these qualities. And so because of that, You can come to God with anything, at any time, because Jesus is our greater high priest. Let's jump into this. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. We can know that our high priest is acceptable to God because the high priest must be chosen by God. We see this here in verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. So that's two words, both calling out, that God is selecting this high priest. We see that further if we look a little bit farther down in verse 4. It says that no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, 
just as Aaron was. Let's jump back to the Exodus when God sets this up. We're going to see that God chooses his representative here. And these are just two verses that highlight that. You can see here, first one is in chapter 28. It says, Bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with them from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nabab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And then later, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. These are just two examples of God choosing Aaron and his sons to serve in this role. But if you go back and read Exodus, this is chapters long, and there's this repetition of take Aaron, choose Aaron, I'm picking Aaron, that you hear from God, and you see this is really important to God that he's choosing who will represent us before him. This is not democratically elected, pick your leader. This isn't the most winsome person declares, I'm going to be the high priest. God will choose who represents his people before him. Yet, despite how much this was emphasized, there's examples, several, from the Old Testament of people trying to claim this role for themselves. And, spoiler alert, it doesn't turn out well. Let's look at this example from 2 Chronicles. There's a king of Judah named Uzziah. He was right before the time of Isaiah, and he was a good king for most of his life. But in all of his successes, he became proud, and he tried to claim a priestly role for himself. Look at this. It says, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So that's something that was specifically set aside for the priests to do. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. So Uzziah, trying to claim the priestly role for himself, saying, I can go do that. Why don't I go do that myself? Is in fact judged by God such that the leprosy, the skin disease that he had, would mean that he couldn't come anywhere near the temple, anywhere near where God's presence abided for the rest of his life. That's a bad thing for Isaiah, but if you think about it, this reminds us how we want to have confidence if we look to our high priest that he's accepted by God, right? If we are to have confidence in our high priest, we need to know that that priest is accepted and chosen by God. And as we look ahead here in verses 5 through 6 of chapter 5, we're going to see that Jesus is the one we can have confidence in in our priest because his calling to the priesthood is greater than and more lasting. We'll read this here. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now this is, this is a little bit tricky here. This is actually two different Psalms that the author of Hebrews is quoting to prove his point that this was God's plan to appoint Jesus as our great high priest. 
This is coming from Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. We're going to walk through that just a little bit to understand this. But here's kind of the flow of how this goes, that God chooses his son to be king. God chooses his king to be our priest. And God chooses this priest to reign forever. Right? God chooses his son to be our king. He chooses our king to be our priest. And he chooses our priest to reign forever. So when the, when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, sometimes it feels at first like there's a little bit of disconnect here. Like, what are you really talking about? Why are we talking about a king when we were just talking about priests? And when it feels that way, remember that the New Testament will often quote just one verse, but it's bringing in the whole context of those, that verse around it. And so when we zoom back a little bit more, the pieces will fit together. So let's do that first with Psalm 2. Just reading an extra verse from Psalm 2 It says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So initially that quote maybe sounded like, why are we talking about how his son is begotten? But as we zoom out in the psalm, we see that this is God declaring to all the world that his son, Jesus, is his chosen king. Okay, that's good, but it's maybe still confusing, right? What does Jesus being God's son and being a king have to do with the high priesthood? Well, that's where we need to look ahead to the next quote, which is from Psalm 110. But before we do that, we're going to look ahead at uh, Hebrews 7 to just explain who this character Melchizedek is. Now, we're going to spend probably several weeks talking about Melchizedek after Easter because he takes up Um, a good bit of a chapter. But just to explain who he is, I think this verse summarizes really well that Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. You see that Melchizedek has two titles. He's the king of Salem and the priest of the most high God. So that's telling us that In Melchizedek, there's this combined role of priest and king. There's a precedent for these roles to be combined. Not because a priest becomes proud and claim, or rather a king becomes proud like Isaiah and claims the priesthood, but because God declares it. Let's again zoom out in Psalm 110 a little bit and see what this shows us now. So there it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So again, walking us through this progression, God chooses his son to be the king. He chooses his king to be the priest, and he chooses the priest to reign forever. How does this give us confidence that Jesus is an acceptable high priest before God? Well, first, Jesus is God's son. And if you remember from Hebrews chapter 1, it says the son is of the same substance as the father. And so our advocate before the father, who the father has chosen, is God. And this Jesus is our God, is our king, and is chosen to a never-ending priesthood. It says that God has sworn and will not change his mind. So the high priest could come and go, and some might be good, and some might be wicked, but Jesus, our good king, will remain our priest forever. So God tells us we can have confidence that Jesus is a reliable high priest on our behalf 
because there will never be a time when Jesus' mediation for you will stop. He will always be your high priest. The high priest must be chosen by God, and the high priest must be trustworthy to us. So we know that Jesus is accepted by God as our high priest, but why, why should we accept him? The reason is he's proven that he's sympathetic to us. Let's look first at the high priests, and then we'll look at Jesus. Because every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. The high priest is chosen by God, but he's chosen from among us. God chooses our mediator from among people like us, fully human, who would experience everything that we do. If you think back to the time of the Israelites and Aaron, this meant that Aaron, the first high priest, was thirsty, just like the rest of the Israelites. He relied on manna every day from the Lord, just like the rest of the Israelites. And he walked in the same hot sand as the rest of the Israelites. And God chooses that his high priest would be this way so that they would sympathize with the people they represent. It helps the priest to deal gently with them. Last week was the Madison Multiply Women's Retreat, and this meant that um, I was a solo stay-at-home dad for the day, which happens from time to time. Not a lot since we added the fourth kid. But it was a, midway through the day, I had this realization. You know, I started the day pretty strong, made some pancakes, got the boys going on that. Started laundry, Saturday's laundry day. I'm on top of this. And then it just started going downhill fast, right? Like, youngest kid was sick, wouldn't take a nap. I'm trying to hold him, get him to go to sleep. Meanwhile, I hear noises from downstairs. What's going on? I don't know. Finally get the kids to, like, start watching TV, which I'm calling a win while I'm trying to get the youngest to nap. And I'm rolling into lunchtime. Like, we haven't gone out on the activity we're going to do. Table is not cleared from breakfast still, and we are off the rails, right? Uh, And here's the point. In that moment, I remembered my wife stays at home with the kids, and this is what she does every day, right? This is her day-to-day challenge. And what does that do when you recognize that you're experiencing the same difficulty as someone else? It produces sympathy. It motivates prayer, right? It reminds me, in the day-to-day, I should remember my wife in prayer. This is how the priesthood is supposed to work. It says in verse 2, the high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, what does this mean? This means that the high priest wasn't just supposed to be the high priest to the people that have it all together, the ones who figure out their sin really quickly, the elites of society. No, the high priest is to be gentle and sympathetic to everyone, to the people who are off track, to the people who are stuck in sin, to the people who are apathetic toward God. The high priest was meant to minister to them And he should understand that because he walked in the same conditions as them. The priest's compassion and gentleness towards sinners is because he also experienced those same things. The Israelites could trust their high priest because he lived the same life as them. The amazing truth for us is that Jesus, who is God, 
is a trustworthy high priest for us because he has also walked the life that we walk. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. To state that positively, Jesus is able to sympathize with our condition because he fully entered into it. Jesus was born into poverty and moved several times in his childhood. Jesus was misunderstood and falsely accused. Jesus was hungry and thirsty and tired and worn out by being around people. Jesus knew sadness and loss. Jesus was angry at injustice. Jesus felt betrayal from his friends. And Jesus was tempted just as we are, but did not sin. Jesus experienced all the depths of temptation to sin and these hardships, yet every time he chose to trust God. If that's your advocate, is there anything that you cannot bring to Jesus? There's not. Do you ever hesitate to bring your cares to God because you think him distant or uncaring? Maybe you think Jesus doesn't care about the thing that causes you difficulty or exhaustion in the day-to-day. But if you look at the life of Jesus, you can see he experienced it all. And he cares and he hears. Jesus demonstrates his trustworthy to us to be our advocate because he was willing to enter fully into our situation. The high priest is chosen by God. The high priest must be trustworthy to us. And the high priest must be able to address our sin that separates us from God. This is the final quality from this passage here. The high priest's role is to take the necessary action to reconcile the difference between God and his people. Let's look at, again, verse 1 shows this. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's the job of the high priest. Sacrifices for sin were a daily occurrence at the temple. God gave these instructions for how the offerings were to be carried out. Let's look here at Leviticus chapter 1. It says that the, he, the priest, shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, this, this is pretty foreign to us, right? Like, if you open a package of your chicken, like chicken breasts from Aldi, and there's like one little vein in there, like I freak out about that, right? Like that's, that's too much. We are so separated from the reality of death in so many ways. But it was front and center in the life of the Israelites. Sin offerings were a daily occurrence at the temple. You would smell the blood on the hot stones. The priest is not just a mere mediator as if we just have a difference of opinions with God. The priest doesn't just negotiate a compromise between us and God. God established the priesthood because sin has a cost. And in the sacrifices of animals for all those years, the people of Israel saw and heard and smelled that the wages of sin is death. 
That's the premise that underlies this whole chapter. If we're to hear the good news of Jesus as our high priest, we have to accept that. Do you believe that your sin violates God's standard? Do you see the distance your sin creates between you and God? Do you see how your sin causes destruction around you? Or do you feel the need to be reconciled to God? When I, when I personally don't see the ugliness of my sin or feel my need for reconciliation to God, it's not often because I made an intentional choice to just reject God's authority and, and embrace sin, but rather because of looking up to God, I'm looking elsewhere for identity and approval and happiness. So, For example, if you're not looking up to God, Maybe you look in to yourself and say, I'm the judge. Whatever I feel determines what is good and right. So, like, for example, this is one that I've been working through is feeling like my family needs to, like, meet the standards that I have for how we look and having it together. Now, if you've seen us up front on the average Sunday morning, you can tell that I'm failing at whatever standards I might set there because boys are boys. But this is the point. How do you then, if you're holding up your own standards as the thing you must meet, what do you do when you don't meet those? Who is your mediator when you fail yourself? Or if you don't look up at God, maybe you look out to a group or to the culture at large as your judge. So then what is popular is good. But I think we could all think about how the changing tides of culture and what is seen as good and what is seen as bad, will let you down. And our culture is very unforgiving to those who violate its standards. So if we look there, who will be your mediator? When we deaden ourselves to God by putting others where God belongs, we lose the opportunity to turn to Jesus in all of our needs. Chapter 4, verse 13, again, reminds us, let's go back there again, no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We're all laid bare before God with all our sin, but we have a greater high priest who has dealt with our sin. Look at verse 14. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now this phrase, who has passed through the heavens, to understand this, we need to go back to the priestly system again. Once a year, the high priest would pass through a curtain into the holiest place of the temple as part of making a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. And this one time a year, Aaron would go into the holy place. It says that this requires, again, a sin offering. In this way, Leviticus says, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So the high priest alone would enter into the holy place and only with a sacrifice for sin. He would complete his duties in the holy place and he would leave. By contrast, Jesus, Hebrews tells us, after making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. See, Jesus made purification for our sins, not by offering the blood of goats or bulls or rams, 
but by experiencing all the temptations we feel as humans, entering fully into our humanity and dying a sacrificial death on our behalf, even though he was without sin. And he rose from the dead on the third day, and he ascended into heaven. He passed through the heavens and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The priests entered the holy place of the temple only once a year, but Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father forever. Our priest king. And if you will put your trust in Jesus, in the sacrifice that he has made for you, then God says, come. Look at verse 16. This is incredible. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Not just one high priest, but every single one of us is welcomed to draw near to God. Not just to an earthly temple, but to the very presence of God where he reigns as king, where Jesus has gone before us and is our priest forever, that we might receive mercy and grace in our time of need. God says to sinners, draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near with confidence. Why do we have confidence? Because Jesus is sympathetic to us, because he's chosen by God to be our priest forever, and he has already gone into the presence of the Father for us. But we can't let this remain just an abstract truth. We need to consider how God is calling each of us to draw near. What kind of confidence can we have? We can have confidence in our conscience. Why? Because we can draw near with our sins and receive mercy. Last week we heard how God's word exposes our sin. Is there a sin in your life you choose to keep hidden? Well, God says, come, draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy. Or think about how the Israelites had a very real need. They needed water, and they failed to come near to God. You have needs or burdens that you should bring to God. Draw near with your burdens and struggles and find grace to help in time of need. So where are you self-reliant rather than turning to God, the God who says, come and find help? Our priest king Jesus welcomes you to his throne of grace. Draw near, receive mercy, and find grace. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would increase our view of Jesus, that we would see the great priest that he is on our behalf. God, each of us has a need uh, where we should turn to you and seek grace to help in our time of need or sin that we fear to bring because we think you too distant or uncaring to deal gently with us. But God, your word reminds us that you, you Jesus, are our high priest who is sympathetic to us and asks us to come. God, for those who feel numb or distant, God, I pray that you would work in their hearts by your word and your spirit that Jesus would be greater in their eyes. 
to those who feel shame in coming, God, remind us again of Jesus' sympathy for us. God, we put our trust in you. You are our great high priest. We need you. We pray in Jesus' name.